Hello and welcome to the eighth episode of Combo Chain. It's a games club, club podcast uh, about JRPGs. And this is the second part of our coverage of uh, Xenogiblade Chronicles, uh, the very first one for Wii. And uh, yeah, so uh, last episode, uh, a whole hell of a lot happened. And uh, <laughs> we would love to be able to recap that for you, but um, way too much happened to really be able to do that. So um, yeah, yeah, just I'm, rewatch uh, the uh, thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, give it a re-listen. So uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm here with uh, Elisa James. Uh, how's it going, Elisa? Everything's good, thank you. Are you ready for a uh, bunch more uh, Xenoblade Chronicles? <laughs> I always am, even though this plot is gonna get even crazier as we keep going oh my, along. But <laughs> my God, yeah, yeah, I can't believe. You know, it's so funny because some of the uh, JRPGs that we've done have literally had like maybe in our notes maybe like two pages of plot, and uh, yeah. this one has this one has a uh, twenty eight. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> little den (laughs) so uh yeah do you want to uh start us off with uh chapter 10 all right so uh in the audience chamber uh callian tells the assembled ministers that melia will ascend the throne in one year and until then he shall assume imperial duties as reg larithia proposes a roundtable discussion on strategy concerning the mech Back in White Wing Palace, Shulk and Rain uh, tell the others about Fiora. Shulk, troubled that Fiora did not recognize them, leaves to find Dunbon. Dunbon tells him that it is unsettling, but he's happy to know she's still alive and that they must help her to remember. Callian summons the party to tell them of his plan to form an allied army and asks them to present this plan to the Homs and Nopon, but Shulk requests time to think it over. The party returns to their quarters, where Melia encourages Shulk to go find Fiora, saying she will stay to help assemble the army. Kalyan interrupts their departure and asks Melia to go with Shulk, introducing a woman who will serve as Melia's stand-in during her absence. Kalyan relays a report that the silver-faced Mekon fled to a Galahad fortress in Sword Valley. Alvis tells them they must track down Valak Mountain to reach Sword Valley, and he will accompany them as a guide. A short-range pot takes them to Machna Forest, and they soon reach the passage to Valak Mountain. In Galahad Fortress, Fiora's Mekon is repaired, while Lady uh, Maineth remarks that Zanza is still alive. She ponders why he took the risk of releasing the Monado's restraints. She finds that she is experiencing feelings for Shulk, and decides she must see him again. Metalface sees her leave and remembers that she is Dunbon's sister. The party proceeds down Valak Mountain, stopping for a rest in Osei Tower. Alvis explains that the Monado had been locked away there until it was found by the Holmes, and that his and Shulk's ability to see the future was acquired by touching the Monado, which can change the future by disrupting the ether upon which their world is based. Continuing down to the base of the mountain, they are confronted by Fiora inside Face Nemesis. She still does not remember them and addresses Shulk as Hare to the Miano, um, saying she wishes to talk to them. They are, inter- they are interrupted by the arrival of Metalface, who shoots Fiora and demands the Monado in exchange for Fiora's life. He complies, and Metalface's chest opened, revealing the pilot to be none other than Mumkar, Metalface's true identity. Dunbon demands he answer why he attacked Colony 9, to which Mumkar says it's because it was his home. Dunbon angrily charges straight for him, but he quickly remote controls Metalface to aim one of his claws at Fiora's neck, threatening her life if they take another step. He then demands so, them you... for them to... Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so, basically at this point, like, Fiora's been t- turned into, like mech you know but they're still like threatening her life exactly (laughs) 
it's like <laughs> it's like there's no there's no good way there's no good way back from this you know it's like it's not like you know uh <laughs> i don't know it's not like you know like fiora is all of a sudden gonna turn back into a person and uh you know i don't know <laughs> exactly no exactly it just, it, but yet <laughs> and she doesn't even remember them at all but they're anyway, just still like oh let's just still hold her hostage no it's true <laughs> So then he demands for them to beg, but uh, Melia thinks otherwise and blasts Mumcar and Metal Face down with a blast of ether, knocking the remote controlling Metal Face out of Mumcar, as well as the Monado, which Shulk takes back. Mumcar then releases his flame claws and engages the group in battle. Partway through the fight, a volley of mass produced faces drop from the sky, as well as a giant golden Mechon. And the pilot says that it's the strongest Metcon built and introduces himself as uh, Egil, the creator of the face Metcon, leader of Mechonis, and agent of Maneth. Shulk then demands he answer why he put Holmes in the Metcon. However, Egil brushes him off and leaves with Mumcar and Fiora. So yeah, now we go to uh, chapter 11, where uh, you know the group rides in Sword Valley, which um, if you've played this on the 3DS... This is like um, Sword Valley is basically it looks like the worst tech demo of a uh, of a <laughs> desert that you've ever seen. Oh my god! Oh my it's god! Um, <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So the the group arrives in um, generic uh, <laughs> generic uh, desert valley. Um, and Dixon griefs them, bringing anti-Mechan weapons and news of an alliance between the Homs, High India, and Nopon. He then departs with Alvis. After traveling through Sword Valley, the party arrives at Galahad Fortress, where they discover that the Mechon are harvesting a special ether and using it as an acid for the weapons to make killing the life on Bionis easier. They fight Mumkar again, and just as Dumbon is about to kill him, Shulk stops him saying that they were not there to kill him. Dumbon relaxes a bit, and then Shulk has a vision of Mumkar lunging at the party and then accidentally killing himself. Shulk, noticing the events from that vision coming to a reality, tries to tell Mumkar to stop, but uh, he refuses to listen. He then shoots a beam that breaks off a pillar that impales him right through his body and sends him and his mechon plummeting towards the ocean, screaming, No, no, not like this! It's the end of Metal Face. <laughs> Not like this! <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the group finds uh, Egil and Face Nemesis waiting to fight them. After the fight, Fjord begs Maneth, who's still controlling Fjord's body, to help Shulk. Maneth breaks free from Egil's control and attacks him with a strange power that surprises Egil himself. Uh, Egil then defeats Face Nemesis and resolves to take away the memory of the new faces because he claims that their memories make them weaker. As Face Nemesis unleashes her power, much of Galhad Fortress is destroyed by a chain reaction. And uh, no real loss there. Uh, Fiora <laughs> falls, <off laughs> falls off the sword of Mechanis with Shulk diving after her and the rest of the party falling off into the ocean. Um, then there's the destruction of the fortress. Back in Alkmoth, Killian receives word the Galhad fortress had collapsed. Uh, Dixon says he has an idea where Shulk's party has ended up and urges Callian to begin the attack. Okay, so with uh, chapter 12, um, Shulk awakes next to the uh, broken face, quickly removes Fiora from it, and lays her on the ground. He then makes a fire and waits for her to wake up. Uh, then attempts to wake her up by giving her water, but uh, due to the fact that she's unconscious, <laughs> she's unable to drink it. <laughs> that's, so, that's, that's a common problem. <laughs> <laughs> so then he, um, he, he decides to, to, to drink it and then give the water to her mouth by kissing her. <laughs> and she... <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh man. Oh man. Um I don't you know, it's like uh 
uh, where where's the, where's the consent here? <laughs> I know. It's like you really just couldn't wait for her to wake up. Like, <laughs> so um, she wakes up and then says that it was her first kiss. Uh, Shulk asks if um, asks her if she remembers anything. To which Fiora responds that she does. They share a warm hug, and she asks for some water, which Shulk gladly gets for her. Then they set off to find the rest. They reunite with Dunbon and the others in a village where they meet the Machina, the people of of Meconis. Uh, Linada, a doctor, takes Fiora to the infirmary to examine her, and Charlotte goes with them. Shulk and the others meet with uh, Mikol, the village leader. Mikol tells them uh, Ejil is his son and asks them to kill Ejil. Uh, so yeah, then we're on to uh, chapter 13. So you got a party of Homs and Nopon who arrive at Alchemoth, led by Dixon, or Othron, and Chief Dunga to hear Kalyan's proposal to form an allied force. After Othron and uh, Dunga agree, uh, Dixon leaves to find Shulk's party, and uh, Kalyan asks him to, live, to deliver a message. Back in the uh, Machina village, uh, Mikol tells the party that Lady Maynath is the creator of the Maconis and had fought to defend the Machina, uh, defend the Machina from the Bionis. She succeeded in stopping the Bionis, but Ejil is now blinded by a desire for revenge. After Fiora's body is repaired, Shulk tells Mikol that they uh, must return to the Bionis to warn Kalyan of Ejil's new weapon. But Dixon arrives and says that he will deliver the message. As Shulk and the others depart, Mikol tells them to seek help from Ejil's sister, Vania, who is still in the Maconis. Uh, meanwhile, Ejil contemplates the situation, realizing the face Mekon are flawed because the Homs residing in them still retain memories of their past life. He decided to erase their memories completely and uh, calls for face. 20814. Um, the group leaves the village and then heads to, to the, towards the uh, Maconis capital, Agnaratha, by traveling up Maconis through the Maconis field. Uh, on the top floor of Maconis field, they are ambushed by Jadeface, who is uh, actually revealed to be Gadolt, Charla's supposedly dead fiance. He doesn't recognize her. And uh, fires his Mechon's cannon at the party. Okay, so then uh, Shulk finds himself floating in empty space and hears Alvis's voice telling him to find the true Monado. He awakes to find that he and the others have survived. Veneer greets them and tells them that they were protected by Lady Maynard's power. She says she will take them to Agnaratha. Meanwhile, the Allied forces arrive at Sword Valley and the, begat- and the battle begins. Upon reaching the Data Central and Agnaratha, Fiora is temporarily taken over by Mena, the goddess of the Maconis and the other person from before. Shulk and the others learn that Bionis and Maconis were once at peace with one another before the former inexplicably attacked the latter, killing many of the Machina. Understanding Eagle's desire for revenge, the group heads to uh, for the main shrine where Egil is located. Before they can reach it, they are attacked by a Gadolt once more, which opens fire on the group. However, the group notices that he is missing Charla on purpose and realizes that he can still be saved. With some help from the group, Maynath in control of Fiora once more assists in bringing Gadolt back to his senses by breaking the control Egil has on him. He then tells Charla that Egil has good in him uh, before, but was consumed by fear, turning him to what he is now. The group heads over to the main shrine, but not before Godot asks Rain to take care of Sharla. The group reaches the shrine, where Vania tries to reason with Ejil once more, but is unsuccessful. Ejil then reveals to Shulk the reason for his attack. While holding no hostility towards the Bionis life forms, he holds hostility towards the Bionis itself, and the beings there serve as its sustenance, so it may awaken once again. So by eliminating the life forms of Bionis, it will not receive the ether it needs to reawaken. Shulk and the, uh, the group engage in contra- I mean, combat with Ejil, 
where Shulk successfully impales him through the shoulder. He tries to reason with Ejil once more, but he is unmoved and removes the monado from his shoulder. After subduing the group with his face, uh, Yal de Baalth, Ejil retreats to the Maconis core to merge with the Maconis. Realizing that Agnaratha is about to be destroyed, Shulk and the group attempt to escape. Charlotte, seeing that Godot is missing, tries to return to find him, but Rain convinces her that Godot will have left. They fail to outrun the explosion and are about to be obliterated, but Godot in his face appears and shields them, sacrificing himself. So yeah, then we move on to the next chapter. Um, so the Maconis fires an energy beam at the Bionis. Kalyan realizes the, the Maconis is awakening and orders an immediate retreat. Shulk's party find themselves failing or falling, but are rescued by junks. The Machina having been warned by Alvis that they were in danger. Back in the village, they discuss the situation and decide to use junks to reach the Maconis core. Uh, inside the central factory, they decide to uh, first head for the uh, Apocrypha generator which is restraining the Monado's power. Shulk begins to wonder if he should use the Monado and cannot figure out why his abilities to know what comes next have changed. He falls to the ground in pain, similar to what Dumbin went through, and after some encouragement from Rain, he explains that it was not caused by the Apocrypha, but by a different kind of power. On the way to the generator, Shulk begins thinking about the connection between the Bionis my uh, Monado and the one he holds remembers a dream that he had about not being there anymore. They destroy the Apocrypha generator as the Maconis begins to move, attacking the Bionis. The party reaches the Maconis core and battles Ejil. They manage to save the Bionis by stopping Ejil. Shulk prepares to finish off Ejil, being encouraged by a voice in his head to do so until Fjord's words and the memories of his journey thus far stop him from carrying out the task. Ejil then asks why he held back trying to kill him, saying that doing so would have ended the war with the Hums and the Mekon and saved the world. Shulk says that he had forgotten about all about the tragedies back on Bionis, but he realizes that both of them share the same pain. Ultimately, he has no reason to kill him. Ejil then says that uh, even if Shulk has no reason to kill him, he still has reason to kill Shulk. <laughs> um, <laughs> and asks if he will resist killing him, even if he uh, killed all the beings by us. Shulk replies that he can at least stop his blade and that he will continue to bo- until both he and Ejil see eye to eye. Ejil then commends Shulk for using the Monado well, but asks him if he believes that he is its true master. He then tells Shulk's story from many years before, when the Bionis and Maconis uh, lived in harmony. He was asked a, fr- a question by his friend Arglis about lies behind beyond the Titans, with Ejil uh, replying that he does not know, saying that he has only heard Maynas say, Endless sea lies beyond, to which Arglis la- asks what lies beyond the sea. And um, if you've played Xenoblade Chronicles 2... <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly uh, you might have an idea um, he then expresses his wishes that one day the descendants will leave the Bionis and Maconis to explore and discover new worlds and that the uh, inhabitants of the two worlds continue living in peace for eternity intriguing Ejil and ultimately he wishes for the same Ejil then tells Shulk that the peace between Bionis and Maconis was disturbed by the presence of the Monado which permitted the existence of only itself. Argeus took the Monado himself, and in the process, he was possessed and turned into Zanza. He then engaged the Maconis in battle before finally being sealed by the High Entia on Prison Island. Shulk then asks if uh, one turns into Zanza if they wield the Monado, to which Ejil says that the Monado is Zanza himself, and that he uh, inhabits and possesses the bodies of his own creations, to continue his, his existence. However, he notes that Shulk is a different case, seeing how he maintained a sense of self and deems that Shulk can break the curse of Zanza and asks Maneth, who he accepts as his god once more, that it was not precisely their wish. 
And uh, I just want to say that um, as much as I love this game, um, this part of lore is just like completely nonsensical. It's like <laughs> the sword. The sword is a person, but if Shulk uh, <laughs> Shulk uh, wields the uh, Monado, then uh, it's not a person. I I don't know. It's just kind of. Like, I, I, it's yeah. Um. So yeah, Shulk then tells Ejol that while he does not understand the curse, he can at least promise him that Bionis and Makonis, as well as its people, can live in peace again. To which Ejol agrees, and the two prepare to make a truce. However, Shulk is suddenly shot in the back. Everyone then turns around to see that Dixon has shot him, who menacingly says that Shulk should not have done what he did. So, um, now, Shulk falls and is quickly caught by Ejol. Everyone starts asking Dixon why he shot Shulk, to which he replies that he is just doing his job then proceeds to focus his sights on Ejil, who immediately recognizes him as a disciple of Zanza, which Dixon confirms. He then tells everyone to prepare for Zanzan's return. Um, Suddenly, Shulk's body starts glowing and rises into the air. Ejil quickly asks and tells Zanza that he will not allow his return and fires a shot from Yaldabaoth's hand, which is absorbed by Shulk and fired back at Ejil. Finally, Zanza, the god of the Bionis, is revived from Shulk's body, and he proceeds to take the Monado for himself. He then tells everyone not to be surprised about his return, for this event was already set in the passage of fate. He continues saying that as everything is interconnected, time eventually leads towards the inevitable, for that is the vision of which he, as the Monado, is the origin. He confirms that everything that happened was predetermined ever since he resided in Shulk. Amena tells everyone that after her and Zanza's battle, he grew weak and his soul within the Monado was sealed in Osei Tower, prompting Dunvon to ask how this relates to Shulk. Dixon responds by reminding Dunvon that Shulk was among the expedition team that was searching for the Monado. He took Shulk from Osei Tower all those years ago to prepare for Zanza's return, and he informs them that Shulk was dead from the start, as Zanza took his life and his family so he can continue his existence. Zanza tells them that Shulk only appeared alive as a result of him becoming his life force until he matured enough to wield the Monado and allowed himself to return. Melia then demands an answer as to why Zanza chose Shulk as his vessel, which Zanza simply saying that Shulk being there was enough for him to choose him as a vessel. Wow, that that stinks. That's all just incidental. Like (laughs) Shulk just had his life ruined because he was there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It sucks to be you, Shulk. (laughs) <laughs> but you know, I mean, he 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 is the uh, I don't know I, I, he's he's like you know the noble sacrifice, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So Dixon then confirms that Shulk's ability to use the Monado as well as his visions were all because of Zanza, and that he ultimately led everyone and everything to their predetermined destinies, from the destruction of Colony Nine to the death of Emperor Sorian Antiqua and the death of Gadot. All these events were by the will of Zanza. Zanza then declares that the time for the destruction and recreation of the world is nigh, but he must first eliminate the Maconis, and the Bionis awakens once more. So, let's see. So then, uh, Ejil engages Zanza in battle, despite protests from Venia, claiming he is too weakened to fight. He, however, exclaims he does not care, for he will gladly give up his life to defeat Zanza. For as his existence continues, Bionis nor Maconis can attain peace. Zanza then reverts the Monado to another form, saying that Egil's decision to fight him will cause him to cease existing by the wrath of the blade. The Monado then appears on the hand of the Bionis, and Zanza easily destroys the Maconis' sword and bisects Yaldabaoth and the Maconis's head. He then prepares to lay waste to Maconis, 
But uh, Maynith, finally understanding her Monado, successfully protects it and Shulk and his friends. She then tells Zanza that she understands now that even as the creators of their life forms, their lives are theirs to control. And if he will only permit his own existence, she will fight for them to show the strength of their will to resist the passage of fate he dictates. And she engages them in battle. In the ensuing battle, Mayneth is easily overpowered by Zanza, who notes that her full strength has significantly dropped from their last conflict. Realizing that Shulk possesses importance to both Mayneth and Fiora, Zanza prepares to kill him, but Mayneth quickly flies over to protect him. Zanza then tells Mayneth to face him like a god or bid farewell to her putrid friends before releasing a powerful blast. Mayneth expels herself from Fiora's body and takes the attack to defend Shulk and his friends. She then begs that they create a world with no need for gods before dying, leaving only her Monado, which Zanza takes for himself. He then... He then sinks Prison Island to the bottom of the sea and releases high-concentration ether waves, affecting the high Anshia and Alkamoth. Back on Makonis, Vanilla runs up to Egil, who apologizes for everything he's done, then begs of her to leave Makonis, but she refuses until Egil escapes with them. He tells her that he cannot, for he must fulfill Maynard's final wish, and Vanilla accepts his judgment. Before leaving, he tells her that Shulk can be saved and to not let the last glimmer of hope be extinguished. Let's see. Then uh, the party then leaves Makonis through junks, but Zanza intercepts and prepares to destroy them. But Ejil uses one of the arms of Makonis to block the attack and give the party enough time to escape. Zanza angrily asks if Ejil ever gives up to which he replies he will never, and that he will shall be judged not in life, but death. He then uses the remaining arm of the Maconis to punch a hole through the Bionis's chest. In response, Zanza orders Ejil to die, before swinging the Monado full force at Maconis, causing it to glow blue as it prepares to explode. Ejil then begs for Shulk, that for the sake of their worlds, he must succeed, then calls Maynard's name before he and the Maconis are killed. With life in the Bionis and chaos, Fiora, Dunbar, and the others flee with Shulk's unconscious body. They reach Junks, which escapes the Maconis. As they pass over the water separating Maconis and Bionis, Dixon attacks the group with a horde of Telethea and prepares to finish them off until he is stopped by... Uh, Callian and his Har Havris squadron. Callian is informed of Dixon's betrayal and prepares to fight him. However, Dixon calls for Lorithia, a member of the High Enchian Court, who turns out to be another disciple. She releases high concentration ether waves from her Havris turning many high Enchia into Telethea to eliminate life on Bionis. Callian uh, then apologizes to, Mele- to Melia for burdening her and uses the last of his will to send his Telethea to take out Dixon and Lorethea, allowing the group to escape back to Colony 6. So yeah, in uh, Chapter 17, um, Junk lands in uh, Colony 6 with Shulk unconscious, unconscious in the infirmary. Fjord places a new weapon, which she uh, says was made for him by the Makina, um, based on the research of Monado. As everyone discusses their options, Malia sees Fiora leave and follows her outside the colony, where Fiora confi- confides that her new body's time is limited. A siren sounds and they rush back to Junks, where they learn a swarm of Talithia is approaching. The party reaches the main entrance in time to see the Talithia arrive, led by Dixon. Shulk again finds himself floating in empty space and wonders whether his entire life has been pointless. Uh, You and me, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Alvis appears and tells him, uh, you are not the only one who can decide that. He explains Zanza's need for a physical host and his reasons for beginning a cycle of destruction and rebirth. Shulk resolves to uh, stop Zanza, and Alvis tells him he knows what he must do. 
Shulk places a hand on his own chest, and a white light spreads from his hand to envelop him. At the main entrance, the party fight the Talesia, but soon they find themselves surrounded. Shulk arrives just in time, and Dixon sends his own uh, Talesia in to attack them. When they defeat it, Shulk tells him that he could still see the future. Uh, Dixon calls for Alvis to join them, revealing him to be another of Zanza's disciples, who sends another Talithia to attack the party. When the party defeats it, Dixon and Alvis flee, taking the Talithia with him. The group uses junks to reach the Bionis' interior, flying through the wound made by Egil's final attack. When they reach the heart, Larithia ta- taunts them, especially Malia, by revealing Callion is still alive after seemingly sacrificing himself in an explosion before he turned into a Talithia. Larithia fuses with Callion's Talithia, and the party fights and defeats her. Malia then has a vision where she speaks with Callion's spirit. She apologizes for failing to protect her people, but Callion reassures her, telling her that the High Entia's transformation into Talithia was inevitable, and that as long as she is a half-homs breed, she would not suffer the curse of her people, and that she was the hope of the High Entia. Thus, he and her father were happy to sacrifice themselves for her. He then explodes along with Larithia, and before leaving, tells Malia that she must now live and live her own life and make her own choices. For that is the hope of the High Entia. But then, when Callian goes, stating she will never forget her brother's words, the rest of the group wonders what she was saying, but Ricky fully understands and had heard what Callian's spirit had said. Malia then hugs Ricky. Dixon arrives to tell the party that he is waiting for them at Prison Island. Uh, the party then travels back to Prison Island to fight Dixon. After chasing him throughout Prison Island and slaying all the monsters he sets on them, the party finally reaches the top and encounter him as he turns into his true form, a giant. Um... The party initially struggles, and Dixon reveals to Shulk that Fiora lost Manus Minato. She has little time to live. However, she convinces Shulk that she is fine and will fight with him to the end. This, along with the encouragement of their friends, allows Shulk and Fiora to unlock the remnants of Zanza's and Manus' power, and they defeat Dixon, much to his surprise. He reverts back to his Homs form before dying, and the party leaves as he dies from his wounds, smoking... He smokes one last cigar, but not not before expressing his <laughs> proudness of how far Shulk has come. And really, at the beginning of the game, did you really think that uh, Dixon would uh, end up this way? Um, not at all. <laughs> no. This game, but you know, at least you, it, what's that? I was just saying, this game really just throws you for a loop. I mean, everything is just. <laughs> I know. I know. I know, uh, but you know, at least he has his last cigar, so you know that's all good. Uh, at least, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Meanwhile, in space, uh, Zanza attempts to look into the future, where he sees the Talithia attacking the Homs. The Bionis in a state of stagnation, and finally, Shulkin and his friends engaging him in battle. But suddenly, the vision cuts off. After that, Zanza then wonders why he cannot see past that point, stating that both Monados in his possession. He should be connected with the passage of fates. He then realizes that both Dixon and Larithia have died in their battles against Shulk, and he wonders if the Talithia are growing weak, if they are continuing to be felled by, by his creations. He then remembers Manus' dying words, wishing for Shulk to create a world with no need for gods. But Zanza scoffs at this wish, saying that no world can exist without a god. He declares that the world belongs to him before imbuing himself in a mass of energy. The party then finds himself in what appears to be a simulation of the solar system. At the end of the simulation, they catch a brief view of the planet Earth before facing Zanza, now a godlike monster representing the Bionis and uh, wielding his and Maynoth's Monados. And uh, the fact that they see Earth... Um, and uh, maybe I'm just pulling a blank, but is that a uh, kind of like a sideways uh, tie-in to uh, Xenoblade uh, or uh, Xenoblade Chronicles X? Actually, it could be. I didn't think about it that way. 
I mean, mm. it's probably just an Easter egg, but you know. Yeah, um, but it's still cool, he, though. Yeah. He tells Shulk that he planned to use his body as a dwelling place for the next millennium, but thanks to obtaining Manus Minato, he now possesses all he desires and says that the beings of Bionis are no longer necessary. He thanks Shulk for providing him with a new Minato and that he has seen he has been more used than his disciples ever were. Then he offers Shulk a chance to become one himself. Malia calls him out for being arrogant and treating the lives of Bionis as simple playthings, and that he does not know how it feels for her to kill her own people as a result of them transforming into Lethia. Zanza simply says that the Thalithia is the true form of a Hyentia, and that Thalithia are simply cells from his own body. He says he gave some sentience to uh, have a short existence as Hyentia, to which he believes they should be grateful for. He then tells the group that the beings of the Bionist exist only to be as vessels and sustenance, and the Bionist is just an accumulation of their corpses and life energy. Dumbin then tells him that while Zanza feigns omnipotence, he was still in prison on Prison Island, and uh, he calls out how limited he is, to which Zanza simply says he was resting in Prison Island. And, you know, one thing that I really kind of do like about this game is that um, all the stuff that seems kind of like random and all over the place at, you know, the beginning of the game and mid game, like the Talithia, like actually like kind of like pulls together there. There's some kind of like unity to the narrative, no matter how uh, kind of like convoluted it is. Exactly. Um, like it actually follows the sort of, uh, an actual surprising like progression, like it's narratively cohesive. That makes sense, you know. Even though, like you say, it can get complicated, but it's like they actually like they don't just throw out details and then they get lost. Like they actually come back and they're referenced again and they play importance, things like that. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's really cool compared, you know, and like compared to other things. <clears throat> Persona Five. Um, <laughs> 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 it's nice. It's nice to uh, have a story that's like you know internally consistent, no matter how many uh, random uh, uh, random shit they throw out there. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, having been wounded by Maconis, he let himself be trapped so they could so he could await the day with a vessel be born to him which Shulk immediately recognizes as himself. Zanza then tells Shulk that he planned to use his body to fight Maynath, then expresses surprise at her easy downfall. He then offers to make Shulk immortal once more. Shulk angrily rejects the offer, saying that he simply wants to live a normal life in a world without Zanza. He expresses disappointment that Shulk would think this way, saying that he could have kept peace by leaving all matters to him but believes that the vision of mortals will remain limited. He then says that using one's power to change the world is a right held only by gods. Shulk then asks if that's why Zanza laid waste to Maconis, which he confirmed, saying that the Machina had become insolent under Maynath's protection. Rain then asks if his plans on eliminating the homes next, to which Zanza replies that he is, for they have proven to be a dangerous species. He expresses disappointment, saying that he had longed for friendship, but now believes that granting intelligence to his creations was a mistake and that a god should not want friendship. Shulk then says he's wrong, saying that Maynath wanted to exist with them, that she saw them as her friends, and that he should have accepted that, then tells Zanza that what he wanted was not friends but worthless slaves and their their lives as his sustenance. Zanza ultimately deems that he was wrong to grant free will to his creations, but brushes it off, saying that the Telithia will eliminate every being from Bionis, and that once it's done, he will create a new world like he has many times before. Shulk then says that they cannot allow Zanza the right, and that they will stop him. Part way into the ensuing battle, Zanza tells Shulk and his friends that if they dare oppose the will of a god, then he will obliterate everything with his incomprehensible power and proceeds to transform into a godlike monstrosity, taking on the form of a Bionis-Maconis hybrid with Talithia wings. 
He then tells the group to behold the true form of a united world before the fight continues. Throughout the fight, Shulk has shown to be able to still have visions, and Zanza proceeds to ask how he how he can uh, have them, even though he no longer has the Monado. Shulk responds by saying that he does not know, only that it comes from the bottom of his heart and shows him his enemy and the future he must alert, he must avert and change. Fiora then tells Zanza that even if they can see the future, it is not set, for there are infinite possibilities depending on what path each individual takes, then tells him that he should know of this more than anyone else, for that is how he has existed. Zanza replies by saying that such a right is reserved only for gods. Shulk then asks why they should care, for it is not important whether or not they can see the future to decide their fate. It is a person's will to make a choice and their strength to seize their destiny that matters. He then closes off by saying that their time has come and that their destiny is their own. Suddenly, light erupts from each of his friend's weapons and directs itself to Shulk's replica Monado. Upon the light dissipating, Shulk gets back on his feet, now wielding the true Monado. For Fiora then tells Zanza that he is not the only one that has the right to decide people's fate. For every being has the freedom to choose the path they wish to follow, and that theirs is the future. Zanza expresses his surprise that Shulk now wields his own Monado, and asks how it is possible, for they are mere mortals. With that, the final battle begins. Zanza, now severely weakened, asks how it was possible for them to bring him down like that, for the power of a god cannot be overcome. Suddenly, a voice from out of nowhere tells Zanza that this is a result of the providence of the world, for everything is limited by providence, even a god's power, despite how great it might be. Shulk and Zanza recognize the voice as Alvis, and Zanza berates him for disobeying him. Alvis simply says that he is the Monado. He's the ex he existed at the beginning, and thus he will also proclaim the end, to which Zanza expresses surprise, saying that it is impossible. Alvis then asks Shulk once more if the world belongs to Zanza or if it belongs to him, to which Shulk says that he has made that decision long ago. With the mighty cry, Shulk raises the true Monado into the air as it is enveloped by light once more. Once it fades, the true Monado now displays a, a certain symbol, which Zanza notices and takes fear of. Shulk then declares that today they use their power to fell a god and seize their de destiny. He then charges at Zanza and swings the true Monado full force at him. The god-slaying sword cleanly cuts through Zanza's body and is split in two. Zanza then utters that he, at all that he was that all that he was is fading, and that the memories of a god's existence, born from the chaos of creation, is vanishing before he is completely destroyed. Uh, so uh, basically the symbol that's on the true Monado is the symbol for, if I'm not mistaken, uh, it's uh, Kami, you know, God, so that's what kind of shocked him. So as you can tell, it, uh, it, it signifies that it's now the god-slaying sword. Right, right. Um, which is kind of, yeah, it's like really cool symbolism. Yeah. So now we're on to the epilogue. After the battle, uh, Alvis appears before Shulk and shows him a vision of the past in which Zanza was once a human scientist named Klaus. He and Maynes performed an experiment that attempted to create a new universe, but accidentally destroyed their universe and caused the two of them to become gods. That they then created the universe of Bionis and Mechanis. Needing a physical ho host, but unwilling to risk the, their departure for other worlds, Zanza initiated a cycle of destruction and rebirth to keep life on Bionis, creating beings from the ether and destroying them with the Talithia when they threaten to leave. Alvis then tells Shulk that, in all truth, Zanza did indeed wish for friendship, but he lost his way. Shulk believes that uh, Zanza's future and their future. <laughs> Sorry, um, I just had to make uh, make a comment that uh, uh, once again, every uh, every uh, JRPG is a, a search for uh, for uh, friendship or as friends we uh, lost <laughs> along the way. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Shulk believes that Zanza's future and their future might have been enabled to exist alongside one another, 
which Elvis confirms was a possibility, but it's long gone now that Zanza was killed by the very God he created. Elvis reveals that he was originally the administrative computer of the space station where the experiment was performed. Elvis then informs Shulk that the world is expiring and that Shulk, as its new God, must decide the world's fate. Let the old world stagnate or evolve into the next stage. However, Shulk says that he simply wanted to stop Zanza from having his way and that he himself cannot be a god. Rain then suddenly appears. Remember Rain? <laughs> and he agrees that Shulk cannot, <laughs> cannot be a god. Everyone else starts appearing before Shulk. Fiora then expresses that none of them want to be gods either and that even though they may not know the future, they just want to live life as it comes. Rain notes the everyday life of eating, sleeping, laughing, crying, even arguing sounds like a fine life. Charlotte then says that simply being with those they love is also enough for them. Malia adds that little by little, everyone changes and that even though they uh, know that no one of the, and that even though they know that no one day will be the same as the last, they will not know what the future holds for them. Remember, it's the power of friendship. Uh, <laughs> Aww. Aww. <laughs> Ricky proceeds <laughs> to say that <laughs> Ricky proceeds to say that it is better not knowing what the future holds, as life seems more fun that way. Fiora then says that the small surprises in life are what make it great, and that since they do not know what will happen, it may give off a sense of worry, but it also gives off a sense of excitement. Dumbin then notes that the fact that they are still continuing to evolve is progress in itself and that they don't need a more dramatic change than that. Shulk agrees with everyone and that the change and uh, that changes, that changes happen little by little as every day passes. And that should be the way everyone lives. And this is their world. Shulk then finds himself back in the space memory and Alvis apologizes for apologizes for interfering, saying that it recreated his friend's personalities from his con- consciousness. Shulk then jokingly says to Alvis that it does not seem like he trusts him to make a decision, and that he is supposed to be the god. Alvis apologizes, stating that his reason for doing so is because the world they now know will no longer remain in its current state. He then asks Shulk for his decision for the future of the world. Shulk simply says that he will not be the one to decide and that the future should be decided by each and every being in the world. Ultimately, Shulk chooses to recreate the universe as a world without gods and proceeds to toss the true Romanato away. As a result, the Bionis falls and a new universe is formed. Several months later, Colony 9 is shown, slightly redesigned but otherwise completely different, and that Homs, Machina, Nopon, and even Hyentia now all live in harmony. The camera goes in a first-person perspective where a person walks down the street and is greeted by various people. The person also sees Bangar, who is somehow alive, chastising his soldiers again. The person then uh, sees Othron and Dumbin going over trade operations with Venia, who muses that this is what Ejol Maynath would have wanted. The person, revealed to be Fiora, although the camera is still in first person, then asks Dumbin if he has seen Shulk, he says that he went with the group somewhere. As he departs, Dumbin tries to say something else, but all can only say good luck, much to Fiora's confusion. Fiora then comes to Outlook Park, where Malia is alone. Fiora asks what she is looking at, but, but, but Malia says she was only thinking about what the future holds. She then thanks Fiora and everyone else for giving her a chance at new life, because otherwise she would not be there. The girls say they are glad to have met each other, finally confirming their mutual friendship. Fiora then goes down to the beach, where Rain is fishing on a dock with Ricky, Juju, and Charlotte supporting him. Everyone except Charlotte ends up falling into the sea where the fi- when the fish breaks free. Ricky protests and demands Rain to catch fish for him to eat. Uh, to get Ricky to fish, Rain reminds him that he must get 14 fish to feed his family, but this backfires when Ricky desperately jumps on Rain to get him to fish, causing them all to fall into the sea again. Uh, so yeah, yeah, lots of uh, slapstick, slapstick humor at the end. Uh, Fiora yeah. then sees Shulk standing alone and nervously approaching him. She sits on the beach with him. At this point, her body is shown, and she is shown to have been restored into her original form, but with shorter hair. 
Fiora wonders what the future holds. Schultz comments that although he cannot see the future right now, that's fine with him because he can imagine the possibilities. He then recalls his final encounter with Alvis, in which Alvis told him that Shulk's world is the perfect world, and that all life in it will walk together hand in hand towards the future. Shulk and Fiora then vow to meet all the people of this world, and no matter what happens, we'll face our future together. The camera then pans out, revealing that the Bionis has collapsed. And that is Xenoblade Chronicles 1. Um, I really like that they kind of like end on this idea that, you know, the future is not predetermined and whatnot. Um, but man, they, they really, really hit that point like a million times. I know. Yeah. They really dropped the anvil. Like (laughs) they were just like, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's like okay, okay, we we get it, we get it. Um, it's it's a great sentiment, but uh, we we totally get it. Um, so yeah, do you have uh any other overall like kind of opinions and takeaways? Hmm. Um. Let's see. Uh, I know. I know. Earlier we were talking about the the plot in general, which I really appreciated that everything just kind of comes together, you know. And and I like the ending because I'm always kind of a fan of. I, I know this is kind of crazy, but I'm always like a fan of those kind of games where you just get to like fight gods for like the right to just like not have them interfere with your world <laughs> like <laughs> uh did we mention that we also uh co-host a uh, shin megami tensei podcast <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so you know very it's a it's a it, this one this game is like a, a like a nicer version of that because they actually uh make up uh, gods versus Shimagami Tensei, which is just like, no, we're just going to take like Christianity and stuff and just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny, actually. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I uh, I think the first or second line on my uh, OK Cupid profile is, um, well, maybe it's not the first or second line, but it's in the uh, first two paragraphs. Um, I host a podcast where uh, I host a podcast <laughs> where you uh, summon demons to uh, kill God, <laughs> which I figure, <laughs> I figure, you know, any, any, any woman that, uh, you know, uh, is, is, uh, you know, can go past that um, is probably uh, worth talking to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, you know, I would say that I feel like this game is a little overstuffed. It's a little overlong. Yeah, that's really the only thing. Like, there's just a lot. It's very dense. There's a lot of stuff they kind of jam packed into here. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot going on, and I mean, I think almost all of it is really good. I think there's a few parts where it really lags. Um, uh when you're uh going through uh desert land that's that's kind of a tedious thing and then uh when you're going through that uh that base um i found that to be particularly tedious but yeah i mean you know they probably could have cut like maybe like 10 10 20 hours and you know it would have still been a great game and I'm the person yeah. who loves a uh, hundred-hour JRPG. Exactly, but you know they, yeah, they, they, there's certain things that they could have kind of pulled out or condensed a bit more, such. Yeah, you know, and I mean, I think we talked about this in the last episode, but the fact that they create such like an evocative world, and you know, just in a world that you can like just like really inhabit on really underpowered hardware is really amazing. And I, yeah, I also, yeah. Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Oh, you know, and I don't, I, I also would say that like, you know, having not played a lot of, or any MMOs, which 
I guess the battle system uh, took a lot from. Like, I, I really enjoyed the battle system. I liked that it was, you know, somewhat, you know, turn-based, or not really turn-based, but, you know, um, it was sort of like a good cross between action and, like, choosing your options from a menu. Like, it kind of reminded yeah. me of uh, Final Fantasy twelve in that way. Exactly, which I really love because... 12 is one of my favorite Final Fantasies and it's it's the same reason like just like this game uh 12 has like the very MMO kind of based um combat system that you know it feels fast paced but because it's still turn based there's a lot of strategic depth to it and that's what I really love about Chronicles battle system that there's just so much depth you're not just like you spamming uh, skills or anything, you know, it's like, you really have to think about what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. And all, you know, all the, uh, you know, combo, combo <laughs> powers and everything like that. Like there's like so much depth to it. Um, so yeah. And there's just so much like diversity to the world and uh, you know, just like different kinds of like, you know, you've got, crazy crazy like futuristic like bases and then you've got like weird prehistoric things with dinosaurs walking around and you know yeah i mean i know it's not technically an open world game but it really does feel that way um and it's it is it's like yeah i mean i was just gonna say it's really remarkable that they pulled that off on the wii you know it it is it is it's like um what would you call it like kind of a uh, not an open world but like a sandbox you know and yeah. and twelve did yeah and twelve did something similar with that too so you know you had a lot of space to move around but because you know it was it's not like a full fledged open world there's still like a lot of details and things to really explore and kind of you know have fleshed out in this world so. Uh, it it kind of has like the best of both worlds in that sense, like the attention to detail, more linear games, but then like that expansiveness and sense of like an actual realized like world that you would get in an open world. So, and like you said, pulling this off on like, um, uh, pulling this off on like some underpowered, uh, you know, hardware like the Wii is it's incredible. It's and I know I keep going back to 12, and I'm sorry, but it's like the same thing with oh, how no, no. Final Fantasy 12. <laughs> and it's like how for Final Fantasy 12, like, managed to do the same thing on the PS2 of all things. So. <laughs> I know, I know. It's really amazing. We got we got to get you back for uh, the um, Final Fantasy 12 uh, podcast that's coming up. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I, I've, I've already got like, I think two or three people. So, you know, maybe it's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be, uh, <laughs> it's gonna a be little a crowded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be fun though. It'll be a, you know, a final fantasy. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I guess like the only thing, you know, I'm kind of curious, you know, like as far as like the future of the series, like, I mean, I, I feel like given the battle mechanics, like if Nintendo was ever to release an MMO, it would probably be in this franchise. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I would say so. And I would also say that, you know, given, uh, you know, uh, Nintendo's output of recent years that a, uh, Xenoblade Chronicle uh, Chronicles Warriors uh, Muso game seems like practically an inevitability at this point. I, I know. <laughs> it's, I'm telling you, Koei Tecmo really has like a great thing going on with this. And if they did it, it would actually probably be a good game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd love to play that game, actually. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Even though, even though I wish it was a uh, Shimigami Tensei Muso that was coming, um, I'm still looking for, forward to uh, Persona Five Scramble. Oh yeah, me too. Like I, I know I'm going to get people upset, but honestly, I feel like uh, Switch owners ended up getting the better game. 
<laughs> I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> we are not fans. We're not huge fans of Persona 5, even though we love Persona yeah. in general. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, and uh, soon enough, we are going to have, uh, you know, another 30 hours added to a game that was already, like, 30 hours too long. So anyway, that's, <laughs> that's beside the point. I don't know. Uh, do you see anything, uh, you know, as far as like, you know, predict anything for the future of the series? Um, That's a really good question. I mean, uh, I mean, they could either go with making a third game, like, you know, uh, or they could make a sequel to uh, Chronicles X. That's always another possibility. So, it seems like Monolith Soft isn't really all that sure what they would want to do next anyway with the franchise. So that's the, so it's kind of like I can't even properly predict it at this point because they don't even know. <laughs> I have no idea. And the, the styles have been so all over the place. You know, it's like I feel like, yeah. you know, Xenoblade 1 was like kind of like, you know, it's the best of the system's abilities, like kind of like you know, maybe like manga kind of like realistic kind of looking. And yeah, and I'd say the same for, uh, well, you know, uh, Xenoblade Chronicles X was much more, uh, you know, kind of anime looking. And then, yeah, man, they went, they went full anime with Xenoblade 2. I know. <laughs> it like screamed like 90s JRPG. Like I couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, I love that game too, but you know. Um, yeah, of course. Uh but uh yeah, um Yeah, I don't know. And I all I don't think we're going to see anything from Monolith anytime soon because I know that they um I know that they actually played a big role in developing uh, Breath of the Wild. And yeah. uh, with Breath of the Wild 2 coming out, I imagine that they're uh, they're uh, busy working on that. But then again, they did Breath of the Wild and uh, Xenoblade 2 like, within a couple of years. So we'll see. That is true. Um, and then, of course, they are still doing that uh, remake of um, this game as well, which so far looks yeah. Good, I th- so. I think I think that's been farmed out to another to another studio. But ah, okay, you know. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, um, I I feel like before the switch ends, we will get a Xenoblade three. Um, as much as I'd love to see a Xenoblade X sequel, especially since, and uh, spoiler alert, jump forward like 20 seconds, it ended on a cliffhanger. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know if we'll, I, I don't know if we'll see that, but I would be surprised if we got a Xenoblade 3. I know. I hope so. So, yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to add? Hmm. Um, nothing I could think of. I think I've, um, I think I've uh, um, exhausted all of my Final Fantasy XII comparisons. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for uh, joining us again, Lisa. Um, uh, is there anything you'd like to plug? Uh, let's see. Oh, right now uh, the website I write for uh, Dual Shockers. Um, we've been putting out like tons of our, uh, you know, top ten uh, games of the year. Uh, so you could definitely go on the site and check out all of our different lists, which uh, it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of uh, weird surprises on there as well, especially because we kind of have the rule that, you know, it doesn't have to be a game this year as long as it was something we played this year. So, like, you'll kind of see, like, that odd game from, like, last year or, like, 2017. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then, of course, we've also pushed out our, like, um, our list of like top, you know, 100 uh, games of the decade. Um, you know, we we also did our game of the uh, of the year, uh, so you could check that out, like our overall one. Which that <laughs> that conversation was uh, it was pretty crazy, and we actually had our little <laughs> discussion 
for it. So a lot of a lot of hurt feelings. I I <laughs> I. I <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> I, I, I bet, I bet. <laughs> um, and I, and I really hope that, uh, untitled goose game was, uh, was game of the year. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I think that's what we failed, but you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely check that out. <laughs> yeah. I will link to all those. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward. I have, I've been so overloaded with like, best of the year and best of the decade that I haven't had a chance to look at the stuff on dual shockers, but I will link, I will look at it after we finish recording and I will link to it in the show notes and um, so. yeah, other stuff. Uh, let's see. Well, Alisa and I and um, fine fellow named Alex and occasionally a fine fellow named LaFletch host a podcast. Uh, podcast about uh Shin Megami Tensei and Persona called Megaten Marathon um and you can find that at megatenmarathon.com or you know just search for that it's you know gonna come up anywhere um I've been doing a little uh, bit of uh game writing on the side uh just for the hell of it um I've been putting up on Medium and I don't have a handy link, but I'll put that in the show notes as well. And uh, also, um, I am currently uh, unemployed. <laughs> so if anybody, uh, <laughs> so if anybody uh, needs a, a writer or an editor or help with uh, building WordPress sites or um, uh, uh, let's see, what else can I do? Oh yeah, I can um, edit and produce podcasts. If you need uh, help with that, um, hit me up on uh, Twitter. Uh, uh, I am uh, at Paul M. Davis. Um, and yeah, yeah. Any anything that you might have would be much appreciated right now. Um, and I think that's about it. Uh, yeah, please rate and review us on iTunes uh, under Combo Chain and uh the other sites that you can rate and review i think you can rate and review on google play and um yeah i think we're on spotify now too so yeah i think that's about it anything else you want to add elisa uh, that's about it on me on my part as well okay cool well thank you so much for listening and uh yeah we uh or uh, at least i will be back pretty soon with uh, another combo chain and uh we will be back with another uh, mega 10 marathon very soon we promise <laughs> all right <laughs> thanks so much all right. talk to you later Lisa. thank you take care